Welcome to Ken ISD Literacy Leaders and Coaches Network Remote Edition. We are excited to bring you our seventh episode of the LLCN Brief. We appreciate those that are now following us on your preferred podcast outlet and excited to share that we now have about 900 plus unique listens to our previous six podcast episodes. These listens come from 14 different countries and 31 different states. We appreciate that you are finding value and the information we are making available for you. Thank you for continuing to share our message with those that you know will benefit from listening. Our LLCN participants have always valued the networking opportunities of our professional learning offerings. This year, in our podcast, we've added the opportunity to reflect upon and dialogue about our topics through scheduled Twitter chat. Two weeks after each new podcast launch, we connect with listeners via an hour-long evening Twitter chat to further process the topic and the learning. My name is Sarah Shoemaker. I'm an early literacy coach at Kent ISD. My colleague, Mark, is here with us as well today. My name is Mark Raffler, and I'm the ELA and Social Studies Consultant here at the Kent ISD. The Michigan Department of Education, MDE, has devoted time and attention to the very important topic of equity in literacy. The focus on this topic by MDE has come through creating a website, devoting resources and further professional learning opportunities to help educators create learning environments and experiences that allow all students to receive high quality instruction in literacy. Most recently, MDE has started a four-part virtual conference series titled, The Role of Diversity Within the Literature That We Teach. The first session of this conference has already occurred, yet there are three other sessions you can still take advantage of to get more information on this important topic. We will be sure to leave you links in the show notes for you to get access to these resources. In this episode, we will spend some time revisiting the topic of culturally responsive teaching. Last year, one of our most popular podcast episodes was with Kent ISD colleague Summer Jabbar as she detailed how we as educators might tune in to our own journeys on understanding and stepping into culturally responsive teaching. Here today, Summer is going to help us take the next steps forward in implementing culturally responsive teaching in the classroom. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you are ready for another compelling conversation of learning. We are joined in this episode by Summer Jabbar, the Equity and Student Success Coordinator here at the Kent Intermediate School District. We are excited to have Summer with us again to follow up on the information she shared last year with us around culturally responsive teaching. We look forward to her further insights she will share from her continued work on this topic. Hi all, thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited to be here with you all today. We're excited to have you. Summer, I have been thinking and reflecting on our podcast from last year around culturally responsive teaching, and I've been doing the work that we talked about, the internal start of the work, and I, I'm just wondering about your insight and how do I start to apply this learning in the classroom? I'm excited to talk more about that. So last time, I think we talked about a lot of the base work that needs to happen prior to applying any of this knowledge to your classroom. So I'm excited to kind of dive deeper into what that looks like in your classroom. 
I think first we need to talk a little bit about this willingness and internal motivation that comes with students. So we know that children and students typically have a really big willingness to learn and be in the classroom, but what they don't always have is the comfortability to do so. So we need to switch how children are feeling in our classrooms from them, not just only having the willingness to want to learn, but also the comfortability to do so. I think a great first step to doing that and to doing culturally responsive teaching in your classroom would be to assess your children and your students' strengths. So when we start to look at students in a strength-based model and mindset, we move from this deficit way of thinking and viewing our students to strengths. What can they bring into the classroom? What do they have to offer? And what can we learn from them? When we're able to have this mutual respect and trust with students, that creates for a better learning environment where everyone will feel comfortable and brave in your space that you're creating. Another thing that we can talk about in terms of how do you get started and applying this in your classroom are some different strategies that Zaretta Hammond outlines. So there are three different things Zaretta talks about in terms of students and tension grabbers to get them to have buy-in when it comes to culturally responsive teaching. One of the first things that you can do are games. So we know that games are always fun, no matter how old you are, that students seem to enjoy those, and those are good attention grabbers. We know that you cannot learn from someone you don't like. That makes it easier for students to have a better relationship with their teachers and staff in the classroom when they see that you're taking an interest in what they like and creating lessons around that. And you can do that with games. Another thing that gets students excited to come to your classroom and you can create different culturally responsive events around is making something social. So when you allow students to partner together, to work on things together, and then talk to you when needed, that helps to create and build relationships where students can rely not only on themselves, but their other classmates as well, as well as their teachers. When they know that they have the opportunity to be independent and maybe make mistakes or to take different challenges, and different opportunities, and they know that if they happen to need you, you'll be there to help them. Lastly, the third thing that you can do in your classroom is to tell stories. So we know that culturally, oral storytelling is something a lot of cultures do to help with their literacy needs and to keep their history alive. We're able to give this opportunity to students in our classroom to tell stories, to create stories, that gives a different opportunity for learning to occur, where they can bring in things they've done possibly with their elders, their ancestors, and that have been passed on into the classrooms, again, relating back to that strength-based model and incorporating that cultural wealth. So we really want to focus on how can we bring cultural wealth and cultural strengths into our classroom so that students can show up authentically as themselves every day, all day. Some of you are bringing so many big names and resources and experts in the field that we have heard from in the past couple of years through ISD. Zaretta Hammond, I'm reminded of Cultivating Genius by Dr. Goldie Muhammad. As you speak about strengths in students and basing our relationship and our instruction off of that, I am hopeful that we see that these strategies are strategies we long know have um, helped to create relationships when we bring connections and fun into the classroom. But you didn't just say fun. You specifically said 
games where people can interact and kind of find their comfort level, social interactions, specifically with peers, not just a ping pong back and forth interaction between a teacher, but authentic social interactions. And then storytelling, like honoring the family stories and the history that has become a part of these children's lives, but also allowing them to find their own voice in in that storytelling and how that might relate to bringing the work of culturally responsive teaching into the classroom. So I'm excited that our listeners will be familiar with some of these names and have attended some of the offerings at Kent ISD in the past years. We are bringing Goldie Muhammad this year as well. So lots of great connections as we begin the work of implementing culturally responsive teaching into the classroom. Sarah, I think you bring up a great point in terms of the strategies that I just provided. I think sometimes when staff and educators think about culturally responsive teaching, it can seem really overwhelming because it is um, something that we may not be talking about every day or feel that we're doing every day. So what I really want to emphasize is that these are strategies you're probably already doing in your classrooms. You're probably making games up, playing games with students, doing different storytelling strategies, um, and having students work with each other. It's just shifting that intentionality of what that looks like with the students that can really give it the extra mile we need for this culturally responsive piece. So I want educators to have hope that this is not an extra layer of anything they need to bring to their curriculum or classrooms. It's not a burden by any means. These are things you're already doing in your classroom. It's just a matter of shifting what that looks like and different intentional planning so that you can have a more culturally responsive uh, lesson come from what you already have planned. Great point, Summer, that without the intentionality, it's easy to think that we're doing this on all the layers or levels. And while these strategies may be being implemented in the classroom, we need to look at them through a new lens and be intentional about how they're incorporating uh, the stories of the children in our classroom and their lives into the work so that we are being responsive to all cultures, all races, all genders, and and being mindful of how that comes to play in our classroom. All right. Well, thanks for diving into that and giving us those strategies specifically around the idea of games, the idea of opening up the social interaction and telling of stories to build that cultural wealth and strength in the classroom. So what is something that you might recommend that we look into that is in our classrooms already that will get us moving toward that? What are resources we might already have at our fingertips that we can take advantage of? It's a great question, Mark. I would really like to focus on diverse classroom libraries. Uh, Typically, classrooms do have a classroom library that they have control over in terms of what books they're presenting to students and what they can put out. So I want to talk a little bit about about that. One thing we want to keep in mind when we're building our classroom libraries is that you are thinking of all the stakeholders that come into play with your libraries. So if you are an educator in a classroom, your stakeholders may possibly include the families that you have, your community, and the students in your classroom. So we really want to make sure that we're taking the time to not only survey your families and students and see what their needs are so we can meet them, but also know that you need to take time to understand and learn all the cultures that are in your classroom. 
When we're talking about cultures in our classroom and representing these in our diverse classroom libraries, we also want to keep in mind that we want to include all of our students' cultures as best as we can to the ability that we can, no matter how small of a portion that culture may play in our classroom. So if you have a classroom of 25 plus or 25, whatever that looks like for you, making sure that they all the students in your classroom can look at your library and see a reflection of themselves and their families in some sort of way. This sounds overwhelming and this can sound difficult, but I think we can talk a little bit more about some strategies that we can do in terms of making sure this is something possible for your classroom. In this building of libraries, I like you talk about actually going out and pulling in the information and then bringing in consideration of all students. Even though it might seem overwhelming, what are some of those strategies that you might offer for us to consider in building these libraries? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about those resources now. So after you're able to talk to all the stakeholders involved, so your students, families, uh, community members, and then survey the needs of your classroom and families that you work with, I think there are a few different steps that we can take from that. So once you've collected your own data, essentially, um, it would be great for you to review that data and see what do you already have in your inventory. I know that a lot of these materials can seem costly and can be costly. So thinking, what do I already have that would apply to my classroom? After that, I'd really like for staff and educators to kind of think about community resources. So think about what you have locally and what they could offer you. So I'm just thinking, can ISD specifically? You know, not all ISDs have all the departments we have, like my position, but thinking about reaching out to someone at your local intermediate school district or maybe even your local community college and seeing what resources they may have available to you as well. Lastly, one resource that is really helpful I've seen educators use in the past can be your local libraries. If you call libraries a week or two ahead of time and tell them the age that you're working with and a certain topic, they're really um, helpful in terms of creating these book lists for you, or sometimes they'll even pull the books for you yourself and you can just pick them up and making sure that they are giving you all the newest editions and latest books on that topic. So I have seen a lot of educators use local libraries. A few other things too we can talk about is socialjusticebooks.org. That is a great resource to find different books that would apply to your classroom library, not only based on topic, but also based on age as well. So you're able to go in and identify different books based on the age and topic needs of your classroom. And those are books that you will then be able to take and maybe use on Amazon Look which is another resource you can use to see previews of the books that you may want to buy for your classrooms. Now, this is just big general ideas that you can do in your classroom libraries. There are always those smaller ideas depending on the age group that you're working with that could include making your own books in the classroom that would have your students represented or pictures of their homes or families, you know, depending on the ages you have in your classroom. Um, another great idea is asking families what type of cultural books do they have in their homes that would be appropriate to bring in for your classroom as well. So surveying and talking to families, finding out their needs, and then again, their strengths and what that looks like in your classroom that you would be able to use for your benefit, but also for students' benefits as well so that they can show up as they need to. 
I appreciate you acknowledging the steps, that there will be steps that we will need to take. There isn't going to be something that will just happen on its own, but that we are going to have to intentionally take some steps. But even though it may seem overwhelming, there are resources that we can use. And specifically, you named some community resources. I know the libraries, the colleges, those are resources here in Grand Rapids, but even in West Michigan that certainly have an interest in building literacy in all students. And I appreciate you bringing them up as ways to go and get access to some of these resources and even more importantly, support in building the library, building the access to these resources, not only for you as the teacher, but to get them into the classroom for use with your students. Summer, as you're speaking, I am reminded about how dynamic this adventure into culturally responsive teaching is in a classroom and how that even with purchasing books or getting books from a local resource like a GRPL library or a KDL library that you might not use the same materials from year to year, depending on the students in the classroom and the changing needs of their identities and their families and their cultures. And so really building diverse libraries, is just the start of a dialogue. We're not going to go and make a one-year purchase and say our classroom libraries are now diverse. So how do we start to support our students in exploring these library resources we make available? How do we integrate them into the content that we're teaching and make it a part of what we're doing on a daily basis? And just continue to be mindful that a book purchase and put on a shelf isn't culturally responsive teaching. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Thanks for that question, Sarah. I think you hit the nail right on the head in terms of putting a book on a shelf is not culturally responsive teaching, but we need to go that extra mile in making sure students feel safe and welcomed in our classroom and that we're being intentional with how we're teaching to our students. So when I think of building a classroom and classroom library that are diverse and culturally responsive, I sometimes think of the construction of a house. So the classroom library, or excuse me, the classroom can be the foundation of the house. So this should be sturdy. It should be a solid foundation. We know that that is something all students are coming into every day, a house. But what makes a house a home? There are a few different things that we can do to ensure that the house that we're giving children can can become a home over the year that we have them or however long they're in our classroom. Some of the things that we can do to shift our house to become a home includes different things. So when we're thinking about what is appealing when we enter someone's home, I think there are a few things that come to mind. So some of those things can be that it is visually appealing. There's a representation of me inside someone's home, makes me feel comfortable. I want to show up there. I want to look into what they have to offer for me. That's some things that we can do in our classroom library. So including students and being able to choose the materials that we're putting out for them, introducing the materials to students if we did choose them without them, making sure that they are aware of where these materials are, why we have these materials, and why they're important. 
regardless of what your classroom makeup looks like, I think that's always important to do. We want to make sure that students understand the windows and mirrors analogy. So even if my classroom makeup may not be entirely diverse or look different than I do or the rest of the representation of the school, the rest of the world may not look like your classroom does. So we want to make sure that students can feel comfortable showing up as themselves in your classroom and classroom library, but also that they feel comfortable and equipped with knowledge when they're showing up in the world as well. Summer, will you say more about the mirrors and windows analogy and how we might use that in the classroom with students and what that means? Yes, absolutely. When I refer to the mirrors and windows analogy, I am talking about the representation of both what's in your classroom and what's outside your classroom. So when we talk about mirrors, we like to think of it as what do I have in my classroom that reflects the representation of my student makeup. So if I'm looking at my classroom, I am ensuring that there are enough mirrors, whatever that looks like, that can be puzzles, books, um, toys, if you have an older age group, that may shift a little bit as to what that looks like. That is mirroring the representation of my students. When I think of windows, I like to make sure that even though I have a great opportunity for students to see themselves in my classroom through all my different materials and books, there are also window opportunities that are showing students what else is out there in the world so that they are aware there are different cultures, different ethnicities, different races, gender identities, sexual orientations that are outside in the world that may not be represented solely in my classroom. So we want to have a good balance of mirrors and windows in our classrooms so that students can have a well-rounded education and view and perspective in the world so that not only that they can show up authentically as themselves, but everyone around them can do so as well and be brave enough to do so. Thank you for going deeper into the windows and mirrors component and giving clarity as to what that looks like. What should we be mindful of to allow or promote? Or if the conversation or dialogue is already occurring, continue these opportunities for conversation that will come from diverse classroom and school libraries. When we're thinking about some things that we want to be mindful of in our classroom libraries and our classrooms in general, A couple of the things that I want to talk about are classroom specific, as we've talked a lot about classrooms. One thing we want to make sure that we are mindful of as we are building our classroom libraries and culturally responsive classrooms as a whole are that we are countering stereotypes. So we are not bringing in any resources or books that feed into different stereotypes. Another thing we really want to be mindful of is that all of our families can be seen represented in our classrooms. No matter what that family makeup looks like or student makeup, there is a representation of those students and families in our classroom. A few other things we'd like to make sure of in terms of having these conversations regarding our classroom libraries or the diverse materials in our classrooms are that A, we're not forcing the conversation, but we're also not ignoring the conversation. So when students are inclined to ask a question regarding the materials and the culturally responsive ideas or lesson plans you have, that you are able to answer these questions, but you're not forcing the conversations. We wanna make sure that we are maintaining a comfortable, respectful, safe learning environment for everyone involved, including our staff. And that may look like being able to tell students that 
you don't know all the answers and that's okay. If they ask a question and you are unsure of the answer, it's totally okay to tell students that, that you don't have all the answers, but you're going to work with them to figure it out. I want to make sure that we know there is a difference between ignoring conversations and also being able to be truthful and vulnerable with students that you don't know the answer, but together you all will work on that. Lastly, I think it's important to create some type of connection to the content that you're teaching if you are going to choose to do so. So if you are bringing in these culturally diverse materials into your classroom, including your libraries, making sure that you can tie that back into the content, how it needs to be tied in so that you are not bringing in books and materials that are going to waste essentially that you're not speaking about them, you're not using them, and you're not addressing them when children bring them up. How can these stay relevant in your classroom and in all your teaching and doing in your classroom every day with students? Appreciate that last point. Very important, I think, to keep it connected to what is happening in the direction of content focused on in the classroom. Really, what you are doing is building background knowledge, possibly even around that content. Also, the ideas, really the components that you listed that we can consider to make sure the environment in our classroom is physically, emotionally, and really overall socially safe. We have a chance to really get into that and learn more about it and build that peace within the classroom. Yes, absolutely, Mark. I think you made a great point in terms of the first thing we need to be mindful of and make sure we are continuously checking for is that we have created a safe environment, a brave environment, and an environment where we're cultivating respect, both from students' perspective and the educators as well. If we don't have that baseline of respect and trust amongst students and teachers, we're not going to be able to get very far with either planning the curriculum, implementing it to fidelity, or bringing in materials if we're not able to start with building relationships with our students. Summer, as I listen to you continue to talk about resources and meeting or or mirroring the students currently in the classroom, I'm reminded of a question we frequently get asked, which is, can you just tell me the names of some books or the titles of some books or some resources and where I can go purchase them? And we really shy away from doing that because the titles change in six months or a year and the students in front of each teacher in a classroom are going to look different. And so what might be some go-to resources that we consider as we think about teachers asking these questions in the coming days, weeks, months, and years? Like, how do we keep on top of what might be current and what might be reflective and honoring of the cultures and students we have in front of us in this day and time? Obviously, we're not going to go buy a book from 20 years ago and consider it uh, relevant to today. And so where are your go-to resources? You've mentioned a couple, but where else can we go? Great question, Sarah. In terms of resources, there really is so many amazing things out there that you are able to tap into, I think, once you understand they're out there. So as I mentioned earlier, your local libraries are a great place to start, your local ISDs and community colleges. Um, or if you have big universities in your city as well, starting there, seeing what their DEI 
team is doing, their department, if they're holding any book studies or they have resources to offer for the community, I would definitely start there. I think a bulk of my resources have come from being in the community over the years, understanding different areas that I can go to to gain more perspective and knowledge on certain things has been so helpful for me as I continue on this journey. I think you make a great point in terms of there isn't a one book, a one checklist, a one thing I can give you, and then boom, you're culturally responsive and good to go. Um, As educators, we know that we are constantly learning and we are constantly changing in the field of education, and so is our student population, and we need to keep up with the times. If we are looking for resources around books, I would definitely suggest, again, socialjusticebooks.org. That is the website where you can go in and break down book topics and by age. Another great resource that I want to point out, too, is teachingforchange.org. That is a great resource where you can look at different lesson plans teachers have done around different topics, different books, different resources that are available to you as well. I also want to talk about, too, using your teacher network. Who do you have that you can rely on that is doing this work? Um, that you can walk alongside of as well. So again, maybe you don't have all the answers, but together with someone else, you can figure it out. So who do you have in your network, maybe from a different district or a different school building, a different grade level that you can connect with and see what they're doing, what's working, what's not, and evaluating. And then lastly, I would say again, how do you bring your families and students into this? So if you have the opportunity where your age group allows for you to have these discussions and you're comfortable doing so, what does it look like to ask them, hey, I would really love to highlight some things from your culture. Where do I start? What do I do? We want to be mindful that we are not putting the burden of figuring these things out on students and families, but that you ask them for permission to ask for help. Is it okay if I ask you a few questions regarding yada, 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 whatever that looks like in your classroom? Making sure that you are able to ask for permission to get help from your students and families, I think could lead to a huge resource pile that you may not have even known about. Again, tapping into that cultural wealth of the students and families that are coming into your classroom. So important to think that our our primary resource should be the students and families themselves. And um, what books or stories or cultural resources do they have to share with us? Uh, I'm reminded of a conversation recently with a family that's currently celebrating Diwali and what does that look like in their home? A wealth of information that they were sharing just locally through the library, through maybe you, you're you aware of Wimmy's Words, which is Kevin Conrad's show, to say the families first and foremost are our resources. And then from there, we continually need to be mindful of the students in front of us. And this isn't a once a year activity, but it's an ongoing seeking to understand and to add toward the, to the resources that we have available and the conversations that we're having. In. Thank you again, Summer, for pointing us in the right direction and helping us to discover how culturally responsive teaching can be implemented in our classroom and we can be more intentional and mindful of these. Thanks, Sarah, for clarifying and being able to wrap up what I said so nicely. Uh, You had some really great points in that we need to make sure that we are moving from this deficit mind 
thinking of students and families who come in that look different than us to being able to find the value in them and knowing they add value to us each day. I think that is going to be so important on this culturally responsive journey is also knowing school may have not been a great experience for some of our families. It may be the first experience they have with school is their students going through your classrooms. We want to make sure that we can give them an amazing experience so we can set the trajectory for success in school for these students and families. And a huge part of that is this level of respect and understanding of different cultures. And that's what makes us beautiful, right? Like that's what we want to see every day is that I can come in looking different from you and it's going to be okay because I know you're going to accept me and want to understand what I have to offer and vice versa. That last statement you made just reminds me of what you said at the beginning of the podcast, Summer, that students have a eagerness and a willingness to participate. And, um, it is our responsibility to make that house a home and to provide that comfort level for them so that this this is an ongoing dialogue and relationship in our classrooms as we walk a year or more together of learning. Thank you for bringing it back around in that way. All right, Summer, we've had a chance to ask you questions and we appreciate all of the expertise that you have offered in your responses. As we conclude this interview, what have we not asked that is important to highlight here? Thank you again for having me. Some questions that I would like to leave you all with to think back on and reflect on are some internal looking questions and external questions. So internally, what work do I need to do to continue on to provide this work for my students? So what do you need to do internally? What does your work look like for you yourself? Externally, Does my classroom provide that home feeling, that homey feeling when you walk in? Do you feel safe and do you feel like you belong there? And secondly, do you think your students feel like that? And how are you involving your students and families? I think that's a huge question. How are we ensuring that your students and families are equally involved in the formation of your classroom environment as they spend so much of their time there? So internally, what do you need to do to continue this work? And externally, are you creating a safe and comfortable environment for all where we where we can show up authentically as ourselves and how are students and families being involved in what you're creating those are some questions i would ask you and yourself to reflect on as you are continuing your journey around culturally responsive teaching and creating those diverse classrooms All right. We appreciate those questions. Very open and reflective and the considerations that you put along with them that put it out there for us, for us to take and to move forward and to answer and to take us to those next steps of what it might look like and how this conversation has ended up. So this conversation brings up some great next steps for us to consider from the last time we had conversation summer. It is appreciated your additional insights that took us from kind of setting the stage to maybe getting a little more into what does it actually look like in my classroom and implementation, and then an installation, as we use the term, which means bringing it to life in the classroom. And so those insights will be invaluable as we move forward. And all of the little pieces and the tips and tricks that you threw out there are much appreciated. And we know that you are supporting the county through the work. So thanks for your time today. And thanks for your insight around this topic that we know is definitely on everyone's mind. Thank you, Mark. I think I just want to leave us all with the 
reminder again that the onus is on us as educators to continue this work, not on our students, that we need to make sure we are moving forward and we are doing all we can to stay current so that students feel a sense of belonging in your classrooms that maybe you didn't feel growing up in your own classrooms. So what can we do to leave things better than we found them? joining us for this LLCN brief today. We appreciate Summer Jabbar's continued partnership and insights into culturally responsive teaching. If you're looking to access the resources from today's podcast episode, please visit our electronic document, LLCN 2021-2022 resources at bit.ly forward slash capital L, capital L, capital C, capital N, lowercase resources. 2122. We look forward to connecting with you again in the near future. Also, we're looking for your suggestions on topics as well as questions you may have related to literacy. Please take the time to let us know what you want to learn more about through the Google form. This Google form can be accessed through the bit.ly bit.ly forward slash capital L capital L capital C capital N topics, all lowercase. Thank you so much for listening today.